Injured in a car accident? We cap attorney's fees at 30% of the first million. Any recovery above that is all yours. No recovery, no fees or costs. If another lawyer wants more, lawyer up 904. For accidents, injuries, and more, lawyer up 904. Jacksonville. The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Very good. Wednesday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. With Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. Boy, we got a lot to do tonight. I am... uh, Really interested about Sunday's game between the Dallas Cowboys and the Jacksonville Jaguars. There are a lot of subplots in this game that we will get to. A lot of things going on. The injury report is very interesting when it comes to both the Jaguars and the Cowboys. And Dallas can officially clinch a playoff spot with a win on Sunday. So there are a lot of angles to this game that need to be discussed. We got a very busy show Tonight, we'll talk a lot of Jaguars and Dallas. In our number one, John Shipley, Jaguar Report. He's coming up in about 20 minutes as we will look back briefly on the Titans game, but obviously look ahead to the Jaguars and the Cowboys. Also coming up in the 9 o'clock hour, Doug Kide has worked for many National Football League outlets, including Pro Football Focus, among many others. He's covered the league for many years. It was interesting. He put out a tweet with Trevor Lawrence's stats this past weekend. The Jaguars must have liked it because the Jaguars actually used Doug's tweet on their official Twitter page. So Doug Kide to talk Trevor Lawrence and talk Jaguars-Cowboys in the 9 o'clock hour. If you missed it on Monday, Andrew Catalan of CBS Sports, who is what's on the call for CBS, not only for the Jaguars and the Titans, but also the Jaguars and the Ravens two weeks ago. We'll bring you Hacker After Dark replay there. And we're not going to forget about college football. I mean, look, the Gators play on Saturday in the Las Vegas Bowl against Oregon State. So we do want to focus on that. National Signing Day, or the early signing period in the month of December, is one week from today. One week from today. So we'll talk a little Florida a little Florida State, Miami, Transfer Portal, Signing Day, the Las Vegas Bowl. We'll throw it all at Bill Bender of the Sporting News. He is the national college football writer for the Sporting News, and he is coming up later on in the program. So we got a lot to do. We're glad you're with us on a Wednesday night here on Hacker After Dark. And as we do to kick things off on every Hacker After Dark, we have a big deal of the night. And Dylan Denmark. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. So last night, I made the point, and maybe I didn't make it correctly enough or succinctly enough. I thought I did. I thought I did a heck of a job explaining it. But I got some text messages. I got some emails. I actually got a... Facebook message, which was kind of interesting. I don't get a lot of those. So I thought I would elaborate a little more. I made the point last night, and some of you probably didn't hear it. Tuesday night's our late night show here on Hacker After Dark. But I made the point that, well, all right, 
no matter what happens for the Jaguars over the next four weeks, the season, by and large, has already met the expectations of the Jaguar fans. Could you call that a success already? I think you probably could. If you don't want to use that word, I'll use the term met expectations. What do I mean by that? Well, what did you say, Jaguar fan, in the month of August, right? When we were in Canton honoring Tony Baselli and training camp was going on and we're getting ready for the season, what was everything that was being said by Jaguar fans? Get us on the playoff picture, right? Let us be in the hunt in the month of December. Can we play meaningful football after Thanksgiving? All right, well, let's think about that. Are they in the hunt? Absolutely. They're two games back of the division with four to go. Two games back of the wild card with four to go. They're on the graphic. You go to any major website, you go to the AFC playoff picture, and you'll see a picture of the Jacksonville Jaguars in the hunt at five and eight. This game on Sunday against Dallas at TIAA Bank Field, probably the most most important December home game for the Jaguars, at least in five years, right? 2017. So meaningful football in the month of December and in the hunt for a postseason berth. Check and check. That's what we wanted, right? That's what you wanted, Jaguar fans. They've done it. What else have they done? Well, you asked for Trevor Lawrence to show that he is the franchise guy, to show that he is the guy that he was built up to be. And Trevor Lawrence has done that. Trevor Lawrence has done that in a big way. You could argue, and we'll look at this a little later, that Trevor Lawrence right now is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. And I don't think you're going too far out on a limb with that. You could argue right now that the Jacksonville Jaguar quarterback is among the top 10 quarterbacks in the National Football League. Another check mark. It's what we asked for, right? Everybody that wants the Jaguars to succeed. Have us be in the playoff hunt. Have us play meaningful football in December. Let Trevor show that he's the guy we believed he he was all along. Check, check, and check. Travis Etienne, how is he coming back from the foot injury? Will there be any lingering effects? Travis Etienne, although admittedly he has slowed down a little bit, not injury-related, just playing tough defenses as of late, He's going to be a 1,000-yard rusher this year. He's going to be a 1,000-yard rusher in his first year in the NFL coming off a Liz Frank foot injury. That's another check mark. What about the free agents? What about all that money that was spent on Christian Kirk and Zay Jones and Evan Ingram and Foye Luakon and Fadakasi? All five of those guys have been very good for the Jaguars. Some of them have been awesome. Aluokin has been awesome as a Jaguar this year. He might lead the league in tackles when all is said and done. 
he's probably going to break Paul Pazlesny's Jaguar single-season record for tackles. Fadakasi has been good. And those three offensive guys that they overspent for, quote-unquote overspent for, that's what everybody said, right? They're not any good. They don't have a true number one receiver. What are they doing paying Christian Kirk and Zay Jones and Evan Ingram all that money? Well, 188 catches, 2,077 yards, 13 touchdowns. That's what they've given you in 13 games. That's another check mark. Now, it's not all sunshine and rainbows, right? The defense has struggled. Josh Allen has not had the year we had hoped. You could argue Trayvon Walker has not had the year we all hoped. So there are some issues in that regard. But by and large, the Jaguars have given this city, this fan base, everything we asked for coming into the year. Which brings me back to Sunday, and really for the rest of the season. Dallas, at the Jets, at Houston, home against Tennessee. I hope that we make a playoff run. I hope that we beat Dallas and Tennessee loses to the Chargers, then all of a sudden, whoa, the Jaguars control their own destiny with three games to go. That would be absolutely incredible. I'm all for it. I hope it happens. But the bottom line is the Jaguars coming off a one-win season in 2020, a three-win season in 2021, and yet all I hear about driving in, talking to friends, is playoffs, 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 right? The P word. The P word. Playoffs. The P word, playoffs. Yes. Thank you, Gene. You don't need to make the playoffs for this season to be a success. The Jaguars have done what you asked them to do. They're in the hunt. Meaningful football in December. Trevor Lawrence is the man. ETN, 1,000 yards. Free agents worth the money. Whether you want to call it a success or not, the bottom line is the Jaguars have done what this fan base wanted them to do. And if that's the criteria to determine whether something's a success or not, then this season's already a success. And we'll see what happens on Sunday. Dallas rolls in. Dallas can clinch a playoff berth with a win. There'll be a lot of Cowboy fans here. A lot of Cowboy fans. 16 years in the making. The Cowboys have not been to Jacksonville since 2006. That's an anomaly when it comes to the schedule. That doesn't happen. Only reason it happened here is because the last time Dallas was scheduled to be here in 2014, the game was in London. So it's going to be a great atmosphere. And actually, let's get into that. Doug Peterson earlier today talked about a lot of different things with the Jaguar media. One of the things he talked about, though, was the atmosphere, right? He is expecting a great atmosphere on Sunday between the Cowboys and the Jaguars. You know, it's going to be, uh, I think, an electric uh, atmosphere with the crowd, you know, that's expected here. And, and um, you know, I know the Cowboys travel well. 
I've uh, been a part of these games for you know a while, and uh, they travel well. Their fans do, and should be should be fun. You know, speaking of the game, this young Jaguar team, they all have played a lot of big, meaningful games in college, right? I mean, Trevor was in the college football playoff time and time again. Trayvon Walker, although I know he's dealing with a high ankle, but he was in the college football national championship game not that long ago. So they've played in big games on the college level. But by and large, 75 80% of the Jaguar roster has not played in a lot of big NFL games. You could... Make the case this is a big NFL game, even though the Jaguars come in at 5-8. and eight. Trevor Lawrence met the media today as well. He was asked if the team understands the importance of this game, and it clearly is a big game for the Jaguars. No question about it. It's a game the Jaguars need to win. It's a game the Jaguars, if they lose, you know, they're not eliminated necessarily, but it certainly doesn't help matters. Here's Trevor on if the team understands what this game means on Sunday. We all understand how, how important this game is. And I mean, that's every game's important, but especially with where we're at. And like we talked about a few weeks ago, kind of the situation we put ourselves in with some of those losses early. It's just where we're at, you know, backs up against the wall and we got to we got to fight our way out. And, you know, I think we got the perfect group to do it. So we understand how big this game is and every game moving forward. This stretch is is huge. So we got a great opportunity. Speaking of Trevor, he was also asked about kind of the turning point in his season. Everybody points to that London game, right? The awful interception in the end zone to Justin Simmons that cost the Jaguars points. The interception to end the game, Denver beating Jacksonville in London. Was that the turning point for Trevor Lawrence this year? He talked about that today. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a few of those moments um, really in my career so far. But I think at that point, I remember, I, I'll never forget how I felt in that locker room after the game. You know, obviously it wasn't a good day for me. And I really just felt like really – it felt like that a couple times, but none more than after that game. Really felt like I let the, the team down. You know, should have won that game. Um, I think we had lost four. That was our fifth one in a row. So I was just – I remember – I never forgot how I felt in that locker room. I don't want to feel like this anymore. You know, I'm going to, I'm gonna one, start taking care of the ball. But, two, I just want to be the player that I know I can be. You know, to that point, obviously he looks like he's playing with a lot more confidence. Doug Peterson today was asked about Trevor – and about the confidence he seems to be showing every week now on the field. Yeah, I mean it's getting it's getting better from the standpoint that you know we have a lot of communication throughout the week. I'm getting a better feel, obviously, for what he likes and, and what he's comfortable with, and so we we put game plans together that way too. So he has, you know, a lot of a lot of confidence in, in in the plays and what we're calling. And but it just comes with time. Denmark, it's always good to get a feel for what somebody likes and what they're comfortable with. That's a key part of life, actually. Not just on the football field, but in other aspects of life. That um, advice is free of charge. 100%, but, 100% discount. Yeah, hey man, it's you got to know what somebody likes and you got to know what, you, what uh, they're, they're comfortable with. Uh, but that definitely applies to football. There's no question about that. And Trevor and Doug building that rapport. Tre- you know, you go back and you watch that Tennessee game, Trevor Lawrence destroyed the Titans. Just destroyed them. I mean, if you're having a bad day at work in the city of Jacksonville, 
or if something bad happens to you and you happen to be a Jaguar fan, just go back and watch the second half of that Titans game and you will instantly feel better. It was a clinic by Trevor Lawrence on Sunday. And hopefully that continues. That, you can score on the Dallas defense. Now, they have good pass rushers. They'll, they'll turn the ball over on you. I mean, they got obviously guys that, that intercept the ball back there, but they do, they do give up points. The problem is they score a lot of points. And the Jaguars are banged up. You see the injury report today? Trayvon Walker, a high ankle. I doubt he's going to play. Brandon Scherf didn't practice with an abdomen. Lawrence didn't practice with a with his toe, although obviously Lawrence is going to play on Sunday. The Jaguars are, are banged up. We'll see how the injuries progress during the week. But it's a big one. Fox is sending their main broadcast team, right? Burkhardt, Olsen, the Fox A team, if you will, will be here on Sunday for the Cowboys and the Jaguars. So a majority of the country in the 1 o'clock window on Fox will see Dallas and Jacksonville. Let's talk Cowboys and Jaguars with John Shipley of Jaguar Report. He does a terrific job with that website, and he's always kind enough to join us here on Hacker After Dark. It's a Wednesday night in the city of Jacksonville with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us. It's 1010XL and 92.5 FM. After Dark on 1010XL. Now, hello. Another great guest on the Farah and Farah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farah and Farah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Jaguars and the Cowboys, Sunday. 1 o'clock, TIAA Bank Field. Probably the biggest home game in Jacksonville in the month of December since, what, maybe 2017. It's going to be a big one. The first time in 16 years. Hard to believe since Dallas has played here. 2006 was the last time the Cowboys visited Duval County. John Shipley, always kind enough to join us. His terrific work can be found at Jaguar Report, which is a part of SI, and he joins us here on 1010XL. John, how we doing? I'm doing fantastic. How you doing, my friend? John, we're good, man. All right, I certainly want to dive in to the Jaguars and the Cowboys, but boy, let's take one last look back at what was uh, kind of a ding-dong, the witch is dead type moment for me, John, with all the beatings Jacksonville had taken up there in Nashville. Heck, even go back before the streak, go back to the late 90s. The 99 team lost there. The 2017 team lost there. The best teams in Jaguar history lost in Nashville not this year. What a win for this organization last Sunday. Yeah, no, I, I really think it's a game that, you know, no matter how this next month goes, you know, maybe the Jaguars are able to, you know, make week 18 and win an year in game. Maybe they've dogged themselves too far a roll. No matter what I think the next, what happens over the next month, 
I really think that, you know, this last week in Nashville could be a game that we look back on in a year, maybe in a year or two, and say, you know, that was kind of a changing of the guard of the AFC South because it really looked like, you know, before our eyes, one team ascending and the other team kind of, you know, plateauing and realizing, okay, we got some big problems moving forward in terms of, you know, it's an aging roster, Tennessee, they've missed on some draft picks, they've traded away some of their best talent in A.J. Brown, and then the Jaguars, I mean, I, I think this is probably going to be, if you just look at the next couple seasons, this is probably going to be one of the, you know, worst teams Doug Peterson has in Jacksonville. And there's still a, a team that's capable of, you know, completely punching a team in the mouth like the Titans. So, I, I obviously a massive win. They exercise a lot of demons. And I think it's going to be a win that we look back on when the Jaguars are in control of the AFC South and the not-too-distant future and think, okay, that's when, you know, the tide began to shift. John, you and I talked right around the bye week, so I haven't had you on since either the Baltimore game or the Tennessee game. We'll throw out Detroit, and we'll flush that just like the team did. Beating the Ravens and beating the Titans, I mean, those are two good wins, man. What do you think has happened to this team since the bye week? Why are they playing so much better now than they did beforehand? Yeah, no, absolutely. I I think that they've done a good job of really realizing the sense of urgency that's needed for the season. You know, I know – Nobody outside of, you know, the building was talking about playoffs or making a run for the AFC South during the offseason or during training camp. But I think the teams realize that, you know, they it might be cliche to say, but they really do have everything, you know, right in front of them. They kind of control their own destiny in a lot of ways. And I think that they've embraced that. And I also think that the staff has done a good job of, you know, maybe making some changes, you know, even subtle ones in the last couple of weeks, you know, against the Ravens. I thought they had a really strong game plan for limiting their running game with, you know, how they use an extra safety and extra linebacker for the first time this season. They did some of that against Tennessee as well. Uh, I thought Trayvon Walker, how they used him on Sunday was really, you know, kind of a reflection of a staff that's kind of growing more self-awareness and they're saying that, okay, maybe what we wanted to do coming into the season isn't what we should be doing. You know, Trayvon, I, I put out there that he's he's rushed 22 snaps this entire season with this hand in the dirt, and eight of those came on Sunday against the Titans. So, you know, they obviously made more of an effort to put him in that role, and I just think little adjustments like that are something that you're really seeing from them. John Shipley of Jaguar Report here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. I love that stat, 22 times. Walker's hand has been on the ground. Almost half of them came on Sunday in Nashville. John, same question. The team is playing better in Trevor Lawrence. I mean, that Baltimore game I thought was his best game as a Jaguar, and now I think this Tennessee game is his best game as a Jaguar. Uh, Trevor, look, last year is what it was, but even in September and you know early to mid-October, Trevor was struggling a little bit, missing guys, throwing costly interceptions in the end zone, and now here we are, John, coming into week, what is it, 15, and he's a top 10 quarterback in the league right now. What, what has happened with him? No, absolutely. And I really think that the Denver Broncos game in London was a big wake-up call for Lawrence. You know, he obviously, that was the last time he threw an interception. It was a two-interception game. He had that awful one in the end zone when they could have gone up 14-0, and then he had one on the last drive of the game. And I really think that Lawrence, you know, did a lot of reflection after that game and realized, you know, kind of enough is enough, you know, kind of time to cut the crap time. You know, the excuses of I'm a young quarterback are kind of going out the window. And just since then, I think that you've seen him play 
obviously the best football of his career. I think, you know, the Raiders game, Ravens game, uh, the Titans game. I think these are all games you can consider, you know, maybe the best games of his career. And they've all happened in the last month. But I, I think he's playing the smartest football of his career. You know, you're seeing him take take calculated risks. You're seeing him be very precise in his decisions. He's, in my opinion, has taken more check downs and safer throws that uh, play the other day where he evaded uh, pressure and then found Evan Ingram for the check down and Ingram nearly got the first down. I believe they converted a play later. That's a play maybe earlier in the season, you know, say week one that you don't see Lawrence uh, kind of do. So I just think it's the natural maturation of a quarterback. I think he's obviously has gotten uh, much more comfortable in the scheme, which you would expect for him to look better. I think in the end of the year than at the beginning of the year, but, you know, I, I, I said yesterday on Twitter, I think this year alone is probably going to be, you know, the worst year Lawrence has under Peterson. And it's already statistically one of the best seasons a Jaguars quarterback has ever had. So I, I just think the sky is the absolute limit and the ceiling is the ceiling. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if Jaguar fans didn't like him beforehand. I think a lot of them love him now, not only the performance on Sunday, but waving goodbye to the Titan fans, you know, mixing it up at the end there where he points to the scoreboard when Tennessee players started jawing with him. John, I look around the league and I look at like Aaron Rodgers with the we own you to Chicago or Tom Brady obviously mixes it up. You look at Joe Burrow, Josh Allen, Mahomes might be the outlier. He doesn't do a ton of that, but a lot of the good quarterbacks in this league, John, they have some attitude, man. They have some moxie, whatever you want to call it. And, boy, Lawrence showed a little bit of that on Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought, you know, even during training camp, this was a guy who I, I was saying, you know, he was more growing more confident. It seemed like last year, you know, he did what rookies, in my opinion, kind of did what they were supposed to and kind of, you know, just put their head down and work. Didn't really let the personality maybe come out as much. But I, I think you've seen consistently this year. And, again, especially since the Broncos game in London, you know, he's, he's always been a very, you know, self-confident guy I don't think he's ever doubted his abilities but you're kind of seeing it kind of exude through really his actions through these last couple of games and I I think you know Trevor is somebody who you know is when you see him in press conferences or see him in those videos that maybe the team will post you know before game and in, in the huddle you know he he's a more laid-back type guy but anybody who questions in my opinion is uh, kind of fire and his energy for the game of football I don't think it's paying attention. I mean, I, I even go back to uh, the Giants game uh, when, you know, they lost in that last second uh, near touchdown to Kirk and other moments throughout that game. He was extremely fiery throughout that game, but the cameras weren't on him, so fans didn't really get that picture of him. And now I think you're starting to see a closer reflection of what his personality really is. And, you know, he's a gamer. I, I, I You know, anybody I think who's doubted that before, I think he's proven that. Dude's just a gamer. John, 188 for 2,077 and 13 touchdowns, 188 catches, 2,077 yards, 13 touchdowns are what you've gotten from Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, and Evan Ingram through 13 games this year. A lot of people didn't like those signings. You and I have talked about that, but my goodness, what Ingram did on Sunday, what we've seen Zay Jones do numerous times, obviously Christian Kirk as well, turns out, at least for 2022, Man, those signings appeared to be pretty good. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, it was the best uh, game a Jaguars tight end has ever had. And what, what was really fascinating to me was you know, he had his big performance after kind of a bad start to the game. You know, I think 
their first three targets to Ingram, none of them were completed. I think there was one drop in there, and it, it was it was getting to the point where you, you know you were kind of thinking, okay, stop throwing the ball to him, and then he just suddenly burst onto the scene. Uh, he was great after the catch. He's somebody who, in I, I can tell you this, inside the building, you know, whether it's teammates, coaching staff. He is somebody they've absolutely loved since he got there. And, and in free agency, that's always a risk because, you know, you obviously watch guys on tape, but you're not always sure about the kind of guy you're going to get. But he came into, you know, this year with the Jaguars with uh, really kind of wanting to prove that, you know, he could play and put behind any of the reputation he might have gotten in New, in New York as a guy who, you know, drops or fumbles the ball a lot. And he, he's just absolutely loved, you know, by coaches, by teammates. He's one of the hardest workers. And that, that's what's been so cool to me to see him kind of come into his own because, you know, he, he's somebody who that they love in Jacksonville. And I really think he's somebody that they would like to keep around. And, I mean, when you look at the offense in general, you know, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, and Evan Ingram are all on pace to have the best seasons of their careers. And I just think that's a testament not only to them, obviously, for executing, but to Doug Peterson for really, you know, getting the pieces and getting the most out of them. He's a priority, right, this offseason? I know he's only on a one-year deal. Like you said, they'd, they'd like to keep him. The finances have to make sense. They're going to have to make some cuts to, to move some cap things around. But at the end of the day, I would think Ingram's got to be one of their top priorities to keep. No, absolutely. I, I really think the way the Jaguars are going to function in the offseason moving forward is, yeah, they're obviously going to try to find and fill some holes in free agency when you can, but I think their priorities are going to be drafting and developing their own talent and then retaining their own talent. And I think they're going to view Ingram in that way. And you know, like you said, the financials have to make sense. They can't afford to pay him like a top three or top four tight end or anything like that. But if it can be a reasonable deal, which I think Ingram would potentially be open to just because he's seen how well he can fit with this quarterback and with this scheme, then I think it would work for all sets. A couple of more for John Shipley of Jaguar Report. All right. We have not had meaningful December football in this city in a long time. We have also not had the Dallas Cowboys come in in a long time. One of the quirks of the schedule when you play games in London is that sometimes teams won't come to Jacksonville for a considerable period. Dallas hasn't been here for 16 years. It's amazing to think about that. When they were supposed to be here in 2014, the game was in London. So finally the Cowboys roll in. It's a meaningful game in December, John, and I would think the atmosphere of that stadium on Sunday, albeit there'll be thousands of Cowboy fans there, we know that, but it should be a college-type atmosphere in that stadium. Oh, no, I, absolutely. I think this is going to be a game that's absolutely rocking. And to me, December football is just so much different than you know September or October football. It's just a different feeling in the air. And you know, take into account the Cowboys are coming into town. You know, it's bound to be, you know, Cowboys always travel well. You know, some of the biggest stars in football, Dak Prescott, C.D. Lamb, Michael Parsons. I mean, this is going to be a game where, you know, the Jaguars can really make a statement across the league. And I think anytime there's a game like that, people are going to get up for it. John, the matchup doesn't appear to be good. Uh, you know, Dave Campo, I thought, said it best on, on the fifth quarter with us. He did not like the matchup against Detroit. He loved the matchup against Tennessee, and he was right on both accounts. This week, again, he does not like the matchup that the Jaguars have against the Cowboys. What they do well, Jacksonville doesn't necessarily do well, which could potentially be a problem. No, absolutely. I mean, Detroit, offensively, Detroit always looked like a bad matchup, you know, for the Jaguars. And unfortunately, 
Dallas has a lot of those same abilities. You know, they have guys in Lamb and Michael Gallup and Dak Prescott, Dalton Schultz. Tony Pollard can be a big piece of the passing game. I mean, they just they have a lot of playmakers to the point where I think it, it, this is going to be a game that if the Jaguars are going to win, their offense has to keep pace with Dallas's offense. I, I, I don't think you're going to be seeing the Jaguars get into a slugfest by any means. I think this is going to be a game that, you know, you either score a lot of points and keep up or you don't, and it looks like the Detroit Lions game. You know, and finally, what I what I think and what I hope people realize, regardless of what happens Sunday and really the rest of the way, but particularly on Sunday, if you were to tell people here in Jacksonville, John, and you know this, man, you, you interact with all these fans on Twitter, you talk to a lot of them just like I do. If you were to tell them at the end of August – hey, come December, well, it'll be 18th or whatever it is, that you're going to be playing a game where you're still alive for the postseason. You're playing a meaningful game against the Dallas Cowboys, and Trevor Lawrence has thrown for 3,200 yards, 20 touchdowns, and only six picks. I think Jaguar fans would have said, where do I sign? Uh, they're, they're, to me, I, you hate the term playing with house money, but from where this team was coming into the year, heck, where they even were, a month ago, this is a phenomenal situation that they're in, at least to be a part of on, on Sunday. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I, I really think the season has, you know, I, I predicted 6-11, and 11, I believe, coming in. And I think if you're looking just at the way Trevor's been playing and the way, you know, Peterson's gotten the most out of the skill group at the offensive line, at ETN, I mean, you know, Trayvon Walker, who's, you know, arguably his two best games have been his two, the last two games. Tyson Campbell, I just think there is a lot to like about what has happened with the Jaguars this year, even if some of the games, you know, haven't exactly gone that way. And you hope that they learn to take advantage of the opportunities that they get again next year. But, I mean, I, I, I think this year should have people very excited for the future. You can read John Shipley's terrific work at Jaguar Report. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. John, enjoy it, brother. Appreciate the time. Enjoy the game. And we'll talk again soon. Hey, appreciate it, man. Have a good week, my friend. Thank you to John Shipley of Jaguar Report for joining us here on Hacker After Dark. Coming up next, we'll get into the world of college football. The Florida Gators, they play a bowl game on Saturday. Yeah, they play on Saturday. And then a week from today is the December early signing period. Let's talk college ball next on Hacker After Dark. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is. We're glad you're with us. Wednesday night edition of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. All right, so Florida plays on Saturday in the Las Vegas Bowl. And it's going to be interesting for a couple of reasons. Number one, there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to get their first real significant playing time as a Florida Gator. <clears throat> One of them's Jack Miller, the quarterback. Never started a game in college football. Has never taken a snap in a Gator uniform. And he's in there. Have at it, Jack, on Saturday against Oregon State. Of course, Anthony Richardson declared for the draft. <clears throat> the Jalen Kitna situation happened. So they have a problem at quarterback. Jack Miller and Max Brown, they're only two scholarship guys remaining. Jack Miller's job. You're going to see a lot of young guys as well. Just keep in mind, Florida has had 16 players enter the transfer portal 
They have also had, what, five guys declare for the draft. You add that to the injuries that happen at the end of the year, and there's just simply not a lot of guys that are going to be available on Saturday. So you combine that with also the fact that they're playing a top 15 team in Oregon State. Oregon State's last game out, they beat Oregon. I mean, it's a good Oregon State football team. They're a 10.5-point favorite against the Gators. I'm actually surprised that Las Vegas has this on the board with all the uncertainty about Florida's roster, but it is the Las Vegas Bowl, right? You have to have the Las Vegas Bowl on the board in Las Vegas. So I I do kind of get that. From a Gator fan perspective, I imagine it'll be a cool trip, right? You get to go to Vegas. It's an 11.30 a.m. local kick on Saturday for Florida and Oregon State. 2.30 East Coast, 11.30 out in Las Vegas. So that's kind of odd. But for Florida, just go out there and compete, man. No one's expecting you to win the game. I'm a little curious to see how Jack Miller looks, to see how Jack Miller plays. But in no way, shape, or form do I expect Florida to win the game. What are you trying to get out of this? Well, I think you're trying to get a look at some young guys. I think you're trying to get a look at some guys that are going to have to step in next year to replace guys that are leaving either through the portal or into the NFL or to graduation. To me, that is the first uh, and most important thing. After that, don't get any big injuries. I mean, are you going to live and die with whether they win the Las Vegas Bowl? Of course not. It'd be nice to beat Oregon State, to beat a top 15 team. That'd be a nice way to go out for year number one for Billy Napier there in Gainesville, but I'm certainly not counting on that to happen. But we'll see. It should be a lot of fun, Florida and Oregon State. On Saturday, there's two bowl games on Friday. I think there's actually five bowl games on Saturday, including Florida and Oregon State. And then you get into all the bowl action really heating up next week. We'll talk a little college football. Let's talk Florida. A little Florida State, a little Miami. National Signing Day, at least the December early signing period, is one week from today. Bill Bender of the Sporting News. Always kind enough to join us. He is the national college football writer for the Sporting News, and he's coming up next. It's a Wednesday night here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. It's Hacker After Dark and Jacksonville. We're glad you're with us. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Hard to believe the Gators play a bowl game this Saturday as bowl season kicks off. Of course, it will end with the college football playoff, which is still about two and a half weeks away. Bill Bender of the Sporting News, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Bill, how we doing? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Bill, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. And certainly I want to talk about the playoff, but for our audience here in Jacksonville, obviously it's all about Florida. They finish off a disappointing 6-6 six and six regular season but Bill, my goodness, the post or the off season, I guess, has been going on two and a half weeks, and between the transfer portal and NFL declarations and the early signing period, uh, boy, the last seventeen days has been a very, very interesting off season for Billy Napier as he attends to uh, turn this roster around. Yeah, and I think it started with Anthony Richardson, right, and and declaring for the NFL draft, moving on there, but. 
like you said, the transfer portal. How many players are they going to have for the bowl game? This is another classic case of the ills. I don't know that the ills is the right word, but the changes that college football's made where certain rosters may flip enough that, I mean, obviously the portal is going to be very important for Billy, Billy Napier here over the next few weeks. Bill, a guy like you that's covered this game for a while now, I mean, what do you make of, of the transfer portal? I think there's over a thousand guys currently in it. I mean, it's exploding. What are your thoughts on it? Well, uh, your, your colleague, Matt Hayes, he, he has to put up with all my texts about youth sports and I've got two <laughs> kids coming up through it. So I bug him with them all the time, but my point is the lessons Part of me likes it because it creates opportunities. Part of me thinks it's absurd that that many, a larger part of me thinks it's absurd that there are that many kids in the transfer portal and moving around. And, you know, is it a commitment issue? Is it just playing time? Is it fed from when they had, when they were kids, my age, my kids age. So um, I think they need to move it back though to after the final bowl game, if that makes sense. It's kind of like, the NFL, what if they did free agency wild card started? Yeah. How do you think that would go? That's a good point, and there's so much going on in December, from the early signing period to bowl season to guys coming and going. I mean, we talk about Florida, right? They play a bowl game on Saturday. Now, Billy Napier, I believe, said at least some of the guys in the portal may play, which is kind of weird, but the Florida Gators might only have 60 scholarship players on the sideline in Las Vegas on Saturday. I think that's what you're talking about. It's just the timing of it doesn't really sync up right now with where we are in the season. Right, along with signing day as well. And obviously coaches move on, and that's part of this too. But this happened with LSU last year. They had barely enough kids to to play in a bowl game. And at that point, you're wondering – I hesitate to use the word safety concerns, but there are, right? If you only have so many kids and – these guys haven't taken real snaps in college football games, then you run into some problems there. So, you know, it's a little bit tougher of a challenge. I did watch Florida's last game of the regular season against Florida State. I was impressed with their fight in that game, especially in the running game. But, you know, it was just Florida State made one or two more plays in the clutch, especially with that quarterback. Bill Bender of the Sporting News here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Bill, how would you summarize year number one for Billy Napier? I think the term I used when I was on your show last time was it was a bit of a roller coaster, right? And I still thought there was room to be headed in the right direction. It was kind of, at the time, I think we last talked, it was before Florida LSU. And LSU kind of went the other direction, right? They went up off of that win and, you know, continued to progress and got to the SEC championship game. Florida, unfortunately, trended downward a little bit. But year one is what it is. We'll see what he can – build and I think it does obviously like any other conversation it starts at the quarterback position what's the plan under center for the Gators in 2023 that will determine where they go in the SEC East I mean look what Tennessee did with Hendon Hooker there's no question about it and look Josh Heupel I think is kind of the poster child now for a lot of these bigger programs he's probably a guy a lot of his colleagues aren't going to like because you saw what Heupel did in year two in Knoxville is that going to be the new expectation for these big programs to be able to get back in the conversation nationally like Heupel did in less than two years on the job? And we always talk, Bill, about the learning curve for, say, freshmen entering college football. Is there a learning curve for coaches that have year one in a power five? I mean, what Billy Napier did at Louisiana was outstanding, 
but Louisiana's not Florida. And do you think he got some on-the-job training this year from the Sun Belt to now where he is in the Southeastern Conference? Yeah, I mean, from everything from, you know, play calling to, you know, scheme to just seeing the difference in talent that's in the SEC. I mean, I would follow some Florida games, and you would wonder, I mean, why are they – I mean, I hate to put it this way because you sound like a fan, but why are they throwing so much, right? Like, just line it up and go. Run the ball. They had a really dynamic rushing attack at times, and I think some of those things will come into play. I think he'll learn on the recruiting trail what it takes to be successful in the SEC. And, um, you know, in that division, I mean, why not? You should have those expectations. You're Florida, right? I mean, they should be competing with Tennessee. They should aspire to compete with Georgia. Um, If you're not, then what are you doing there? It's a good point. There's no doubt. There's a lot of Gator fans that certainly agree with that sentiment, Bill Bender, of the sporting news. All right, you mentioned Florida State earlier in the transfer portal. And what Mike Norvell did in just revolutionizing that roster, quite frankly, I mean, you could argue their top dozen guys are all transfer portal guys. Norvell, to me, should be in conversation for coach of the year nationally. I mean, they're going to win 10 games. I think they're going to boat race Oklahoma in Orlando and they'll be 10 and three. And I don't think anybody would have picked Florida state to be 10 and three back in mid August. Bill, how impressed were you by Norvell and the job he's done there in a relatively short amount of time? Uh, he's done a fantastic job uh, of flipping the narrative. I mean, he was on the hot seat last summer. Um, everybody wanted, especially coming off the heels of Dion recruiting Travis Hunter. And that's a whole different story these days. Um, but you know, from the, from the, uh, start with the big win against LSU um, they had a blip against Clemson where they competed in the second half but this is a getting Florida State back to 10 wins was is huge if they can do that if they can beat Oklahoma like you said I, I agree with you I don't think that's going to be much of a game and uh, having Jordan Travis back for another year they're poised to make their run in the Atlantic it might be time for Florida State to get back on top in the ACC it wouldn't be out of the question you know, you look at some of the changes going on at Clemson. Now, the problem is Florida State has to go to Clemson next year. But I would imagine, Bill, when preseason magazines come out, even your own there at Sporting News, what, in May and June, as we get closer to 2023, I would think a lot of publications are going to pick Florida State in the Atlantic next year. Yeah, and, uh, you know, obviously it's uh, it, they're going to be one of those hot teams. You know, South Carolina will be another one. Uh Notre Dame will be another one. That's what makes Notre Dame and South Carolina such an interesting bowl game is both of those teams are going to have a lot of momentum, at least from prognosticators, going into next season. So, yeah, I mean, I think definitely that they're going to be a team that a lot of people pay attention to. You know, much like in Gainesville with Billy Napier, some disappointment about 6-6, six and six, there's some real disappointment in South Florida. Uh, not that they went 5-7. and seven. I mean, that's a big part of it. But some of the losses Miami had towards the end of the year, I mean, they just looked disinterested in, in a lot of games. That pit game was a joke to end the season, was an absolute joke in front of about what looked like 15,000 people down there on senior day. I mean, how much of a rebuild does Mario Cristobal really have down there? They've got a lot of work to do. I mean, obviously they are a player in NIL. They've recruited well. They're always going to get talent to Miami. But this year was another reminder that it just – it, it's got to happen on the field. And, you know, Texas A&M kind of got the trophy for being the biggest disappointment of the season. Texas A&M beat Miami. So, I mean, I think Miami's got a lot of work to do. I think Cristobal, he, he'll get it done um, in terms of making them a competitive team in the ACC. But 
you know, like we just talked about, Florida State's not going to wait. Clemson's not going to wait. They don't do divisions anymore. So, you know, it's going to be a climb for them against some other programs. I mean, even North Carolina, they're not going to wait for Miami to catch up. No, and, and and Miami and Florida both have this problem. At least Florida's got a bowl game, got the extra practices. Miami's had a mass exodus, too. I think both Miami and Florida combined have had like 30 combined guys enter the portal. Uh, Cristobal's losing guys left and right. Now, some of that is guys that, quite frankly, they're probably happy aren't returning. But you want to talk about the roster turnover in both Gainesville and Coral Gables. Bill, it's going to be massive for the next couple of weeks and months. Yep, and I mean that's you got to manage that. That's part of this new age world we live in, where signing day means a little less to me. And and I can't believe I'm saying that because I know recruiting is the lifeblood of college football. But then you got to hang on to these guys once you have them. So is Miami and Florida State able to do that? Not only, I mean, one of the disadvantages they have on Florida, and I think I've talked to you about this on the show before, they're on that SEC patch patch matters in recruiting right now because the SEC is the most lucrative, most successful conference in college football. And I think sometimes Miami and Florida State struggle with that a little bit, especially because they're not on top in the ACC. I think it'd be different if Miami and Florida State were the two best programs in the ACC. Final moments here with Bill Bender of the Sporting News. You brought him up and you piqued my interest before we get into the playoff. What about Dion at Colorado, Bill? What are your thoughts there? Well, I mean, I think we're all going to – well, the, the trouble with, with Dion here is everybody's already got their mind made up, right? There, there are fans out there that couldn't stand him when he was a player and, and you know, think he's an egomaniac and all those kind of things. And there's other people that think he's a, a star and, uh, you know, a, a viral sensation and will do a good job. I know he'll do a good job recruiting. You know he's going to do it on his terms. I, I just wonder – my biggest question is, what what is a fair expectation for Colorado next year? To me, it's like seven, six, and six. And how do, how do we deal with that if they end up in that five and seven, six and six range? Which, by any other coach, it would be like, hey, he got him to a bull game. But he will attract a ton of social media attention, even if he's not looking for it. Like he says, uh, what's he been saying? I'm not hard to find. Yeah, and look, I thought the the match there was interesting because Georgia Tech was open. There was some rumblings about South Florida. To me, Deion Sanders, I mean, he's popular over. He's a huge figure all over. But Deion in Colorado didn't make a lot of sense to me until, I guess you look at it, he can go out there for a couple of years. They might have been the worst team in 1A football last year. He can make all the mistakes that he wants. If he gets to 6-6 six and six or 7-5, and five, that's a massive turnaround, and in two or three years, maybe a bigger program comes calling. Exactly, and I think you you, you kind of did my thought process. At first, I was like, "Man, is that job big enough for him?" And then you're thinking, "Well, they'll take you know nine and three. He'll be he'll be a hero, considering that program's been off the radar. So, and it would maybe groom him for if if he's willing to overtake on that that giant job in the SEC or the ACC." Bill Bender of the Sporting News. All right, we're still a couple of weeks out, but uh, certainly Georgia-Ohio State. Boy, what a matchup that's going to be. And then you got Michigan-TCU in the other national semifinal. Bill, what are your thoughts on the playoff? Well, I think Michigan-TCU is going to be, we're going to talk a lot about style. Which team can get their style going? Is it a Big 12-type game where TCU makes a couple huge plays and plays wide open, plays free with Duggan, and makes Michigan sweat with that ball control offense? Or 
is that Michigan just bludgeons them to death with that uh, huge offensive line. And then on the other side, uh, Ohio State, Georgia, what kind of chip does Ohio State play with? I mean, they have NFL talent all over the place. They've got All-Americans too, but um, it's a tough assignment to go down to Georgia. Are they going to get kind of beat up like Michigan did, or do they come out and take a swing like they did in 2014 when they went down and won the Sugar Bowl against Alabama when nobody gave them a chance? But I think Georgia wins close. I think Michigan wins moderate, like, 10-point range and get a rematch of last year's semifinal. We'll see what's different. Hey, Bill, final question. We're having a 14 playoff this year, a 14 playoff next year, and then the 12-teamer arrives in 2024-2025. What will that do for college football? I think it'll it'll increase interest. It'll increase money. It'll, you know, more games, more teams, more interest. I mean, I was one of those guys that was a little reserved about the NFL expanding its playoff, and it's actually been pretty cool. Um, now, will it change the way we watch the regular season? Absolutely. There'll be, you know, it'll be more about the playoff and less about those individual games that can define seasons. So I, I see the checks and balances of it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And in some ways, it's better than watch. I think every year is different. Like this year would be a year for the BCS, Michigan and Georgia. They, they've been the two best teams and you don't, you could skip around, but that's not how the, the sport's designed anymore. Bill Bender of the Sporting News, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Bill, know you're busy this time of year, man. If we don't talk beforehand, happy holidays, and we'll talk soon in 2023. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. Happy holidays. Have a Merry Christmas, all that stuff. Thank you so much. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Now, hello. another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. What a win for the Jacksonville Jaguars yesterday up in Nashville. Ending a nine-year losing streak in Nashville to the Tennessee Titans. A man that called it for CBS Sports is Andrew Catalan, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Andrew, how you doing? Ryan, always good chatting with you. Thanks for having me on. Andrew, always appreciate it, man. And, boy, you've called a couple of doozies in the last few weeks. You called the Jaguar-Baltimore game, yesterday the Jaguar-Titan game. You've seen Jacksonville probably more than any of your colleagues at CBS. Boy, it clearly looks to be a different team, Andrew, right now. No doubt about it. I just sense the uh, confidence and swagger in this team led by Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence is is very different than any of the previous Jaguars teams that I've seen, especially the last few years. I just even in our production meetings with them Saturday night at their hotel in Nashville, it just got a real sense of confidence from them that they know what they did in Detroit wasn't who they really are. And they felt very resilient and they were it, they were in a good frame of mind the night before that game, and it showed even though they fell behind 7 nothing, I thought the Trayvon Walker forced fumble was a huge play in that game early, and it just got that sense that they 
This is a different team, and I give them a lot of credit starting at the top with Doug Peterson. You know, and, and, and to come back from where they were last week, I mean, the NFL, it's so week-to-week, week, Andrew, but last Sunday in Detroit was a disaster. I mean, the Lions didn't even punt the football. And then you're going into Tennessee, a place they hadn't won in, what, 3,300-plus days. And to put forth a performance like that, my goodness, shows the growth of this football team. No doubt. I mean, I think that they didn't really have an explanation as to what happened in Detroit. Just said they came out flat. Obviously, the ETN fumble on the second play, I thought, changed the tenor of that game. I also think Detroit's pretty good. As we saw, they, they beat up Minnesota yesterday. So that, that that's a nice ascending team in the Lions. But, you know, it's easy to say, oh, that wasn't us, and then come out and and then you got to show it. And they did. I mean, they, they, they really did. I thought that the Tennessee team, even though they were really banged up defensively, you know the style Mike Vrabel wants to play. When, when they're down, they, they try to punch you in the mouth. They try to play physical. And they couldn't do that against Jacksonville yesterday. I, I know all the numbers added up to Jacksonville throwing the football a lot. Tennessee's got a good run defense, but they haven't been able to stop the pass. Doug Peterson knew it. They, everybody knew it. And Tennessee still couldn't stop him. So I thought Trevor Lawrence played a great game. You would have no idea that his toe was bothering him. And they really fired on all cylinders on all, in all three phases. It was a very impressive effort. Andrew Catalan, CBS Sports, here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. You saw Trevor as a rookie. You've seen him now in come-from-behind victory over Baltimore and maybe his best game as a professional yesterday against Tennessee. You also get to talk with him. On a, on a pretty regular basis when you're calling these games, Andrew. How would you describe Trevor Lawrence, where he is December 2022, compared to where he was last year right now, which is about the time Urban Meyer was fired? There's no comparison. I mean, I just – I don't think that unless we were in the building, we could really sense how much of a mess last year was. I mean, you could you can sense it when you were – watching them play or a little bit in our meetings, but I just never felt like I knew who Trevor Lawrence was when I would sit with him last year. I just felt like there was so much going on in his mind, so much to process as a rookie and Urban Meyer and all the losses, something he wasn't accustomed to. And now in these meetings, obviously I've, I've gotten to talk with him a, few, a little bit more. I, I, just, I just get a quiet confidence in him. He's just very comfortable in his own skin which is not something I would have thought to say a year ago. Uh, I think that Doug Peterson has been the perfect head coach for him. Uh, I think that Doug has a great relationship with him. They see things the same way. I think there's more talent around him as well. We saw that yesterday with Evan Ingram and, and Christian Kirk on a hole this year. I just really feel like this is the Trevor Lawrence that the Jaguars and their fans thought they were getting. I think they're finally getting him now. And, Andrew, look, and maybe it's a little thing that I'm making too much out of, but I'm curious. You know, Patrick Mahomes is probably the exception, but you look around the league, from the elder statesmen like Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady to Joe Burrow and Josh Allen, quarterbacks have a little moxie to a man, a little attitude in today's day and age. And Trevor yesterday, you know, waving goodbye to the Titan fans or mixing it up with the Titans on the kneel down there and then pointing to the scoreboard. I mean, Jaguar fans here absolutely ate that up yesterday. They loved every bit of it because we haven't really had anybody like that at the quarterback position here in Jacksonville. 
Andrew, that would do that. I guess Bortles, but then he wasn't all that successful. So the fact that not only Trevor assuming a leadership role, but he's showing a little attitude, sticking up for his teammates. Boy, fans here loved that yesterday. I think that's a big deal. I don't think you're making too much of it. I, I noticed that as well. I had to be a little careful on the on the broadcast because there's Titans fans that are watching too. But I think from a Jacksonville perspective, I thought that was a big deal. It was basically Trevor Lawrence saying, look, this isn't the same old Jaguars. We know we haven't won in this place since 2013. This is a new team, and, and we're coming for what you have. I mean, they kind of said that all week too, Ryan. They said – Look, Titans are the gold standard in our division the last several years. We want to we want to be that, so we got to go beat them and they did. So, you know, I'm not saying that they're going to go win their next four games. They could, uh, but at the same time, I just think even momentum into next year if they don't get in the playoffs this year, it just sends a little bit of a message that this isn't the same team that had lost so many games in a row in Nashville. A couple of more for Andrew Catalan of CBS Sports. You know, you look at the AFC South I think when all the preseason magazines come out next year, Andrew, barring something catastrophic happening this offseason, I mean, how could you not like the Jaguars in this division moving forward? Houston is still in a rebuild. Indianapolis, who knows what's going on there. They're likely to have another quarterback next year. And Tennessee looks like the, you know, they're, they're probably going to win the division, but my goodness, do they look wounded? They looked old yesterday. I know they had some injury problems. Well, people here in Jacksonville, whether what happens in the next four games or not, moving forward, uh, this looks like it's going to be Trevor Lawrence's division for a few years. Could be. I mean, obviously in Tennessee, they made the bold move this past week of firing their general manager. So I think the owner is uh, maybe ready to to make some bolder moves, whatever that whatever that might be. But there's no doubt that the the, the nucleus and the and the tone that Doug Peterson has around him. Uh, bodes well for the future. I, I absolutely agree with you. I think that they'll have some room to make some more moves, but as Trevor continues to grow and, and they get a few more pieces around them, especially on defense, I think this is a team that should be competing for the division title for the foreseeable future. You know, Andrew, you look around the league too, four games to go, uh, a lot of implications this week, wild card, division championships, that sort of thing. When you take a look at the AFC, Clearly, it appears Kansas City and Buffalo in whatever order you want to put them in. Boy, Cincinnati's coming on strong. How do you assess where we are in the AFC with four weeks to go? Yeah, I still think that a lot of it's going to come down to who gets the one seed. I mean, I think that if Buffalo gets it, it's, that's going to be a really tough place to, to go through. Not that Arrowhead is easy to do, but I, I think that Buffalo is a different team at home but I think all these teams are showing potential warts. I don't think there's a dominant team really in either conference, but especially in the AFC. I mean, I still have Buffalo as the favorite, but we've seen even yesterday that they had some struggles at home against the Jets team that that um, that they had lost to earlier in the year. So I, I think once it gets in, it's wide open. I've been pretty high on Miami, uh, but, I, you know, they didn't show up in the way that I expected uh, last week or uh, last night rather. And then they have a tough short week going to Buffalo where it could be snowing on Saturday night. So 
you know, I, I think it's really wide open and you can make a case for any one of these teams to come out of the AFC. But ultimately, I think home field advantage will make a big difference. Wrapping things up with Andrew Cattle on CBS Sports. Andrew, you know the city of Jacksonville. You know this fan base as well as anybody that does what you do there in the broadcast booth on the television side. There's a big one here on Sunday. It's the first meaningful December game in a long time. Jacksonville still in it and in come the Dallas Cowboys. Interesting note for you. First time in 16 years that Dallas will have played a game in Jacksonville. Eight years ago, the game was in London. So Dallas has not been here since 2006. What's your early thought on the Cowboys and the Jaguars on Sunday? I think it's going to be a great atmosphere because we know the Cowboys fans will travel well, but I would imagine Jaguars fans are riding high and they're going to try to to show up in a big way that, that should be a real fun game to watch obviously we saw dallas struggle against houston yesterday they barely pulled out the win i think the jaguars have a lot of confidence they're alive in the division and i think that's going to be a really good game I, I, that's a game that uh i think there'll be a lot of eyeballs on and i think the jags have a chance to make some noise andrew final question you're obviously with cbs You're paid to call the game down the middle, be objective. It's what you do, and you do a great job of it. But I've been asked this numerous times, and because I'm having you on, I'm curious. I mean, you got to know how you're thought of here in Jacksonville, right? I don't know if a fan base has another connection with a TV play-by-play guy than the Jaguar fan base has with Andrew Catalan, because you've had so many games down here. It's almost kind of like a running joke that we have a chance because Catalan's (laughs) on the call. I mean, what do you make of the relationship you have here with the Jaguar fan base? Well, it's funny, and I appreciate it. Um, look, I've called so many Jaguars games when they haven't been good, right? And I think that when you're a fan and you have the same guy or you hear the same guy, but he's with you in the good times and maybe the bad times. Certainly there were some bad times. Um, yeah, maybe maybe we, we grow a closer connection. Um I have no idea. I'm sure that today the Titans fans are thinking, great, we got Catalan again in the <laughs> Chargers game. They're probably tired of me. Uh, but there's no doubt that uh, I get um, really nice comments from people in Jacksonville, and, and I appreciate it because uh, it's a fun job, and that's a great place to go. And, you know, I hope they continue to win because uh, it's a fun place to be when they're winning. Well, you're certainly one of our favorites, no doubt about that. Andrew Catalan of CBS Sports. Hopefully he'll get some more Jaguar games here in the next month of the season. Andrew, thank you for the time. Know you're busy this time of year. My man, we'll talk soon. Anytime, Ryan. Thanks for having me. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Boy, what a win for the Jaguars this past weekend over the Tennessee Titans. First time in nine years the Jaguars went to Nashville and came back with a W. And how impressive was Trevor Lawrence? 368 through the air, three touchdowns, also added one on the ground. The Dallas Cowboys roll in on Sunday. What will be the biggest December game here in Jacksonville that we've had in probably five years' time. Doug Kide has spent many years covering the National Football League, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Doug, how we doing? Doing pretty well. How you doing, Ryan? Doug, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. And I know you were very complimentary on Twitter of Trevor Lawrence over the weekend to the point where the Jaguar Twitter handle actually quote-tweeted your tweet praising their quarterback uh your thoughts on trevor lawrence this past week against tennessee i it was 
it was probably the best game of his NFL career, I'd say. I mean, um, I don't know how, how how the locals feel about it, but I mean, he he was on fire on Sunday against the Titans, and, and that's against a good defense as well. And I, it really seems like since the midway point of the season, when you know there were some some doubts coming about Trevor Lawrence, I feel like he has turned it around, and he's really been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I mean, the those stats that I put out. I think it was only about three quarters of the way through the game. But I mean, if you look at him since week nine, 10 touchdowns, zero interceptions, 111.7 passer rating, 71.8 completion percentage. He's, he's been fantastic out of, you know, the starting quarterbacks in the NFL, only Jalen hurts has a better passer rating since week nine. So that's from the, the halfway point of the season on, He's just been a completely different player. Doug, you've covered this league for a while, man. How does that happen? How does – I mean, he's better than he was a month ago. He's clearly better than he was two months ago. How does somebody change from where they were in September to now being a completely different guy in December? I think for him it definitely helps to get more familiarity in Doug Peterson's offense, uh, get more familiarity with his wide receivers, with his teammates. You know, a lot of those things – a quarterback can only be so good, uh, you know, and then the supporting cast around him has to be strong as well. So I do think that, you know, he's gotten more comfortable with the supporting cast. Uh, Zay Jones has stepped up, obviously. But I think that the the main thing is that it was probably tough for him coming into the season to be playing under another new offense. So sometimes it takes a while to fully click, and it seems like that's what's happened with him now over the second half of the season here with Doug Peterson. Doug Kide, longtime cover of the National Football League. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. All right, from the AFC South perspective, look, you go from 4-8 and eight to 5-8. and eight. You're still in the hunt for a postseason berth, and that's all great. And we certainly hope that it works out for Jacksonville, being down two games with, with four to go. They're still alive. But to me, Doug, and I'm, I'm curious your thought, to me it was like a ding-dong, the witch is dead type moment i can't tell you how many times jacksonville's gone into nashville and just gotten gotten pummeled gotten boat raced even the 2017 afc title team went in there and just got physically whipped by the titans and for this jaguar team to go into nashville yesterday to give them the beating and then to have trevor lawrence wave to the titan crowd and point to the scoreboard when there's some jawing back and forth at the end of the game oh the people here in jacksonville ate that up yesterday afternoon it's clearly a different mindset that Doug Peterson has brought to this football team it it definitely is and I'd say that you know even last week's move of the Titans firing John Robinson they clearly see that there are some flaws there in that Titans team and I was certainly caught by surprise by the fact that the Titans did fire John Robinson halfway through the season but they haven't drafted particularly well uh, obviously, their their offense runs, you know, pretty predominantly through Derrick Henry still at this point. So, I'd say that typically being two games back at this point in the season, not always the best sign uh, for a team like the Jaguars are facing right now. But there does seem to be enough flaws in that Titans team that you know things could go a little bit haywire for Tennessee over the, over the last half of the season here or the last quarter of the season here. And and the Jaguars are definitely coming on strong. So. Even if they don't make the playoffs, even if this doesn't happen this year, it's definitely a great sign for the future for the Jaguars. And it feels like the Titans are a team that are trending down. 
The Colts have to figure out a lot of things this offseason. The Texans are still maybe two, three years away. So, I mean, if all goes as planned, if Trevor Lawrence keeps playing the way that he has over the second half of the season here, they're going to be the team to beat heading into next year. You know, and one thing, too, with, with what Trevor did at the end of the game, and really you go back to Detroit last week, Doug, and the ownership Trevor took of he called it embarrassing. He called it, you know, we said we got our A's kicked. We laid down. I mean, that's that's big-time talk from a guy that's only in his second year in the league. You can see him definitely assuming that leadership role on this football team. But yesterday, you know, like I said, waving to the Titan crowd, pointing to the scoreboard. I mean, Joe Burrow does stuff like that. Josh Allen, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, those guys that have that little moxie, that attitude, whatever you want to call it. We haven't had anything like that here in Jacksonville. It's nothing against them, but, you know, Brunel and Leftwich and Garrard, that wasn't their thing. Bortles had it a little bit, but he wasn't very successful a large majority of the time. To have a quarterback... You know, do that. Stand up for his teammates. Point to the scoreboard. Rub it in your rivals' faces. Man, that was, um, i got to be honest, that was pretty refreshing to see. Yeah, I, w- I would certainly imagine. And, yeah, I mean, I-, I do think that, you know, Blake Worlds did have a little bit of that that moxie. But, as you said, he didn't really have the play to back it up on the field. And that's obviously the thing that, that sets Trevor Lawrence apart right now is that he he is playing like an elite-level quarterback. He's playing – better than any Jaguars quarterback since, I mean, probably since the Mark Brunel days. <laughs> you would certainly know better than than I do. But, I mean, yeah, I, I would imagine that that was extremely refreshing to see. And it's good to see him start to show a little bit more of that personality as he gets more comfortable, you know, with the Jaguars, with Doug Peterson, with his teammates. And I think that that's another thing that is probably allowing him to flourish a little bit more this season, just getting more comfortable within himself, getting more comfortable as a leader. Doug Kide has covered the NFL for many years. He's with us here on 1010XL Radio in Jacksonville. Doug, 188 catches, 2,077 yards, and 13 touchdowns. Those are the combined numbers for Zay Jones, Christian Kirk, and Evan Ingram. And you and I talked this offseason. A lot of people around the league were poo-pooing those signings, saying, well, you overpaid. Why are you bringing these guys in? I mean, again, maybe they don't have a quote-unquote wide receiver one, but 188 for two grand and 13 scores in 13 games, Doug, that's pretty good production, is it not? It definitely is. And, you know, I, I, this is probably what I said over the offseason and over the summer as well. You can question how the, the Jaguars spent their money, like how much money they, they wound up paying those guys. But they're performing, and those guys have clearly improved the Jaguars' offense. So, when it comes down to it, you're, you're, you know, what is it, one or two million dollars that they might have overpaid for one or two players? It ultimately doesn't matter if it does improve your team, if it does improve your roster, and if you can still go out at the trade deadline and acquire a guy like Calvin Ridley. We'll see how he comes in next year and performs for the Jaguars, but he's got the potential to be that number one wide receiver. And in the meantime, in the interim, Christian Kirk is probably going to have a thousand yard season this year and Zay Jones could wind up coming pretty close. So they're definitely getting the, the production that they paid for out of those wide receivers and out of Evan Ingram as well. I mean, he was out there making play after play yesterday. Doug, because you mentioned him real quick, Calvin Ridley, the expectation around the league, right? I guess he applies for reinstatement in February. There's no reason to believe that he will not be reinstated. Correct. Uh, no, not not that I've heard in particular. 
I think that, you know, the only way, uh, I guess I wouldn't say the only way, but the, the way that I could see that not happening is if they found something else, if they found that he was, you know, betting on games this season, or if there was some other issue, but beyond that, certainly I would expect him to be, uh, you know, activated after the season. There is a lot of excitement about Calvin Ridley coming in in 2023 here in Jacksonville. Final moments here with Doug Kide. He's covered the NFL for many years. He's always kind enough to join us on 1010XL here in Jacksonville. All right, Doug, the Cowboys come in. Here's an interesting stat for you if you want to tweet out free of charge. Dallas has not been to Jacksonville since 2006. It has been wow. 16 years Last time they were supposed to be here was 2014, and the game was in London. So there will clearly be thousands of Cowboy fans who have not seen them here in Jacksonville again in 16 years. It'll be a great environment. It's probably the biggest December game we've had around here since 2017. Uh, What's your thought on the Cowboys and the Jaguars on Sunday? I think it could wind up being close. I mean, the the Texans kept it close against the Cowboys. I know that the Texans have played other teams pretty tough this year they played the the eagles tough now they've played the the cowboys tough but i don't know i mean obviously it's it's kind of a a jekyll and hyde situation for the jaguars you you saw what happened against the lions a couple weeks ago and then they come out and blow out the titans but it's kind of the same thing with the cowboys the cowboys got pretty lucky winning that game yesterday against the texans the texans really blew it i felt like more than the cowboys actually won that game um, so I mean, I think that the expectation would be that the Cowboys would win that game, but I, I don't know. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is playing so well right now that he could be that type of quarterback that could, that could get a team over the hump that could, you know, cause some upsets. And I think that that's what we saw a little bit yesterday. And if that continues, then I think the Jaguars have a chance. Well, the weird thing about the Jaguars is they have wins over the Chargers, the Ravens and the Titans. Uh, which if the playoffs started today, that's three of the seven AFC teams that are in the playoffs. The Jaguars have beaten, yet they have inexcusable losses to the Broncos and the Texans. So it's almost as if they play up to the competition. And if that's the case, you would think they would have a very good showing on Sunday. Regardless of what happens, it's just nice to be in the playoff hunt. Let me ask you about Tennessee. They go to Los Angeles. They still have a game against Dallas. So the Cowboys... We'll have a big say in what happens in the AFC South. And the Titans play the Jaguars week 18. So could be very interesting. Tennessee looks like they're weak in oil, Doug. I don't know what you thought yesterday, but in watching that team, and I've seen them you know, many times. Derrick Henry's a local kid. We've followed him for years. That did not look like a Tennessee team that I'm used to seeing. Uh, I know, you, like you said, they fired their GM. They got problems up there, right? No, they definitely do. And I think, you know, like I said, that that's why you fire the GM because they've missed on so many draft picks. They don't have the depth that they had before. Uh, they don't necessarily have the offensive line that they had before. And and Ryan Tannehill is probably still maybe a little bit of an underrated quarterback, but um, even he's kind of struggled in some of these games recently. So I, I do. I think that they're, they're a team with flaws. And I think that this remaining schedule for the Titans – could wind up being pretty difficult. I mean, obviously, uh, Chargers looked tough yesterday with Justin Herbert quarterback. Texans just played the the Cowboys tough. Then they've got the Cowboys, and I, I think the the dream scenario down there in Jacksonville would be for that that Week 18 game to to decide the division. And you know, some things have to bounce right for the Jaguars before then. But I, I'm not ruling it out. I, I I said before the season that 
if there was any team in, in the NFL that could go from worst to first, it would be the Jaguars. And, you know, it didn't look great. I'd say that prediction didn't look fantastic early in the season, but I think that they're now starting to show the potential that they had heading into the year now uh, with, with some of these recent wins against the Ravens and the, and the Titans. I'll tell you, it's just an indictment to me on the AFC South that that Tennessee yeah. team is in first place by two games with four to go because they did not look very good yesterday. Doug, leave us with this. The AFC as a whole. Uh, we know Buffalo, Kansas City, but it looks like Cincinnati really coming on strong. Are those the three – or there is there another team that that could be a, a fly in the ointment, if you will. Um, I, I still think the the Dolphins could be as well. I know they struggled yesterday against the Chargers, and um, just seems like Brandon Staley's defenses play well against Shanahan offenses. So we'll see how that all stacks up before the playoffs come. But yeah, I mean, it, it's funny because everyone thought that the Buffalo Bills were going to be you know the Super Bowl favorites heading into the season. They've shown a decent amount of flaws, I feel like, over the last couple of weeks of the year. Um, Chiefs are still obviously a, a really tough team as well. But, yeah, I'd say that uh, Bengals clearly are up there too. It's kind of funny that they're actually not in first place in their, their division. The Ravens are. But you certainly expect that to, to flip before the end of the season with the Lamar Jackson injury, the Tyler Huntley injury. Um, so those will be my big four still. And then, yeah, I can't say that I, I expect anyone coming out of the AFC South. Uh, to be overly, um, you know, competitive in the playoffs. And then that final seed that's going to come down between the the Chargers, Jets, and Patriots, those teams all have a lot of flaws as well. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you what's interesting. And, uh, again, maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid, but if Jacksonville beats Dallas, and that's a big if, and even if they don't, yeah. they have the Jets, the Texans, and the Titans, a team they're competing head-to-head with for a wild card in the Jets, the Texans' only win came against Jacksonville. You would have to think there's a revenge factor there. And then you get the Titans at home on Week 18, uh, which, uh, boy, the nation would love that if that was the flexed game. The 8-8 uh, oh, yeah. Jaguars, the 8-8 eight eight Titans battling for the <laughs> AFC South Championship. Doug Kai has covered the NFL for many years, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Doug, thank you for the time. If we don't talk beforehand, man, have a happy holidays, and we'll talk soon. Absolutely. It's always fun. Thanks for talking to me. And thank you to Doug Kide, who's covered the NFL for many, many years, for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Boy, it's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens on Sunday between the Jaguars and the Cowboys. Of course, you'll get the game right here on 1010XL, a 1 o'clock kick. Afterwards, Leon Searcy, Dave Campo, and myself will have the fifth quarter for you live from Perfect Rack Billiards out in Murray Hill. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for what has been a very eventful Wednesday night here on Hacker After Dark. We got a lot of people to thank. Again, Doug Kide, longtime NFL writer, for joining us tonight. Bill Bender of the Sporting News talking about Florida. Of course, their bowl game is on Saturday against Oregon State. Also talked a little Florida State and Miami with Bill Bender of the Sporting News. My friend John Shipley of Jaguar Report who does such a terrific job with that website as we talk Jaguars and Cowboys. And we brought you a Hacker After Dark replay of my conversation with Andrew Catalan of CBS Sports earlier tonight here on Hacker After Dark. We will be back tomorrow night on a Thursday at 8 o'clock, and we will do it all over again. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the Hacker Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Wednesday evening with us 
right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Wednesday, and we will do it all over again on a Thursday, beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.